Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Ephesians. And now, Pastor Bird. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just come to you this morning as we open up your word and ask that you speak to us through the indwelling of your spirit, that you would move us and shape us to your image. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians 1. You need to keep your finger there for the entire sermon because we're, we're going to go back to Ephesians 1 throughout the sermon. It's going to be important. And if you remember, I've made this statement at the opening of every sermon that dealt with Ephesians 1, that it is called the Trinitarian letter. The whole letter is called the Trinitarian letter because it deals with the entire Trinity in regards to our salvation, especially chapter 1. And so in studying verses 3 through 6, we saw the plan of the Father in Ephesians 1. It reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. There you see the plan of the Father. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Last week, we began the work of Christ. So you have the plan of the Father, And then last week we started the work of Christ as he carries out and brings to fulfillment the Father's plan. And that's in verse 7 through 10. We studied this last week. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So we've got the plan of the Father that he chose us before the foundation of the world and we are to be holy and without blame before him in love. And it's Christ who brings this into effect because he has redeemed us. We have grace because of his work on the cross. He redeemed us. He paid for us. And we're going to continue the work of Christ as we study verse 11 this morning, verse 11 and 12. In him, referring to Christ, also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise 
of his glory. So as you read verse 11, it says that we have an inheritance. However, our focus is going to be on verse 11 in this word inheritance. And I want to read a couple of different translations. They're related translations, one American, one English. And they say something a little bit different. Verse 11 says in in the New King James Version, in him we have obtained an inheritance. The American Standard Version, which was written in 1901, it says in whom, so verse 11, New King James, in him we have obtained an inheritance. American Standard Version, in whom also we were made a heritage. In whom also we were made a heritage, having been foreordained according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will. Same thing with the English Revised Version. They're sister translations, so it's not surprising that they say the same thing. But it reads, in whom also we were made a heritage, having been foreordained according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will. I read these two translations to point out a difference of interpretation in the original language. One group says we as believers have an inheritance through Christ. That that is what Paul means in this verse. Another group says, no, Paul is referring to the fact that we as Christians are the inheritance of Christ. That we're his inheritance. And I'm limiting my comments to this verse. That one group says that we have an inheritance. Another group says we are his inheritance. And there's verses that back up both views. So we'll eventually get to verses 17 and 18 in this chapter. If you look at 18, it says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of your calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? In other words, it says that we are the inheritance of Christ. Here just a few verses later. In Acts 26, Paul is giving his testimony to King Agrippa, and he's telling King Agrippa, he's given his testimony, and he's telling him about his road to Damascus experience. And in verses 16 through 18 of the 26th chapter of Acts, he quotes Christ, and it reads, and he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, both Rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet to reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom now I send you to open their eyes and in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. 
So here we have two different verses. One that says that we are Christ's inheritance, you and I as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we have other verses that say that we receive an inheritance. Both are biblically correct. That we are his inheritance and that we receive an inheritance. But regarding this particular verse... Honer, who I've quoted a lot, who has one of the most extensive commentaries on Ephesians, says that we are Christ's inheritance in this particular verse. And he also points out for comparison how God looked at the children of Israel in the Old Testament. And he gives a couple of quotations. Moses, in Deuteronomy 4... Verse 20 says this, But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be his people and inheritance as you are this day. So God looked at the Hebrews as his inheritance. Later on in the Song of Moses, in the 32nd chapter of Deuteronomy, in the ninth verse, It says, for the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. So here we have a reference to the Old Testament that God viewed the Hebrews as his people. And I have to say, as I studied this this week, that even though... Most modern translations say that we have an inheritance through Christ, which is biblically correct, anywhere it says it in the New Testament. But in this particular verse, I agree with Honer that in this particular verse, Paul is communicating that we as believers, that we as believers are the inheritance of Jesus Christ. And I believe this way from a logical point of view as you put this verse in context with the preceding verse. So what I want us to do first is look at verse 10 that I preached on last week. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Now, when I preached through that, I referenced the fifth chapter of Revelation, verse 11. And it reads, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders. The number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And if you recall, I pointed out that here we see a timeline which you effectively see in Ephesians 1, you see a timeline of all of history that begins with the Father's plan as He chooses us before the foundation of the world. We see the work of Christ as He redeems us and He calls us to Himself. And then when you look at Revelation 5, you see that we're all gathered together, 10,000 upon 10,000. 
as we gather around him. This is why I believe. This is why I believe that it refers to us being his inheritance. And then when you look at verse 11 in the American Standard Version, in whom also we were made a heritage. So when you put 10 and 11 together and you see the centrality of Jesus Christ, this is why I believe that Paul is telling us through the plan of the Father and work of Christ, it is always about Jesus Christ. It's always about Christ. This is the Father's plan. This is the work of Christ. So when you put the whole thing together, and I've got an important point about this as we progress, but when you put the whole thing together, verse 4 in Ephesians 1, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. In verse 7, the work of Christ in Him, we have redemption through His blood. And we've been given this grace of knowing the mystery of His will. In fact, that's how we encounter Christ first. We've been revealed the mystery of His will. In other words, when you and I encounter Christ, the veil is taken away. We discover our need for Christ and we put our faith that Christ will be our Messiah all the way to glory. That's why I think this is what Paul is communicating, that Christ is the story of the world, that he's the story of the world, that he's the centrality. And in fact, when you think about in verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, in other words, Christ will return and he will gather all of us together It's so very important for you and I to see that we are his heritage, we are his inheritance, and he has worked according to the counsel of his will. He's at work. He is at work to accomplish that purpose, and he has been calling his saints ever since his resurrection all throughout history he even called old testament saints it is about christ and i've said this before but i think it needs emphasis in this particular sermon and this is just the great point of this Our salvation isn't about a destination. Our salvation is not about a destination. And unfortunately for years, the church has preached salvation as a destination. Do this and you will get to go to heaven. And unfortunately people think, well, I'm in control. I'm in control. We're not in control at all. The Bible says that even our faith is a gift. And what you end up, if you read, if you read Ephesians 1, and you read it as a ticket, I've said before that 
so many times people look at Christ as their currency, that Christ is going to give me this. If you look at it in that light, you miss the beauty. You miss the beauty of chapter 1. You also miss the extent in which Christ is exalted. If you think about false religions, if you think about false religions, false religions typically exalt a false god. And in fact, as Paul wrote the church at Ephesus, those that did not believe in Jesus Christ had a world-famous false god in Diana. You can go to the museum there at Ephesus and you can see Diana there in the museum in all of her dead marble glory. But you can see it. And they worshipped Diana. They exalted Diana. When you think about where the church needs to be right now, is we need to quit looking at our salvation as a destination. And we need to look at it for what it is. It is a relationship with God. A relationship with God. And you see it in the Father's plan as Ephesians 1 opens up. You see it in the work of Christ that he shed his blood for me and for you. Not so that we can just idly live our life however we want with the assurance that, oh yeah, one day when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. Think about it this way. Change that phrase. One day I'm going to go to heaven to one day I will appear before God. That'll catch your attention, right? One day I will appear before God. It has a different connotation, doesn't it? And praise God that you and I will be able to appear before Him without fear because the Bible says that we have been accepted in the Beloved. We're accepted. Why are we accepted? We're accepted because of the work of Christ. But if we would keep that in our mind, that our salvation just isn't about a destination. It is with a relationship with God. That relationship begins when we're called by God. really began before that. It began before the foundation of the world, didn't it? When He chose us. And then Christ worked that plan to where you and I could come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not so that we could have a destination, but we could have a relationship. Now, a relationship with God is ongoing, isn't it? Unfortunately, I've seen over the last 27 years of preaching... I have seen people, and it pains me, that they want something from God. They don't want to know God. They want the transaction. They want this idea 
that they have a ticket to heaven. And you'll see that just as the parable of the seed and the sower, they will come in, they will give a false conversion, and then you never see them again. And it's not that they've gone someplace else. They've removed themselves from Christianity. And unfortunately, if you talk to those people, they will tell you, because I have been told, it's okay, I'm going to heaven. I did this. This is what I did, and I'm going to go to heaven. You notice in that statement, when you find somebody who did an altar call, and then there's no power of righteousness or God in their life. And if you confront them, you notice that that's what they'll always say. It's okay. I'm going to go to heaven. They don't say, it's okay. I'm going to go face Jesus. There's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference in the false belief of heaven and the power of Jesus Christ in his believers As we see the work of Christ and what he did for us, we have to give him the glory, don't we? We have to give him the glory. It says in Philippians that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. It's not like we get to the gates of heaven and then we're off on our own. I just read in Revelation... We have that beautiful picture. We're surrounded the throne. And there's Jesus Christ. And our focus is on Jesus Christ. Heaven is not what you want to make of it. I remember one time Billy Graham said, Oh, when we get to heaven, there's going to be baseball fields and football fields and all of the things that you like to do. It's almost a Muslim view of heaven, right? He was completely wrong in that statement. I don't think John described a baseball field or a football field when he penned Revelation. You know what I see in Revelation? I see us exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I see. We need to put that idea in our view of Christianity. That we are here to exalt the name of Jesus. And when we exalt the name of Jesus, it permeates through us to where we become witnesses. We become a witness to tell people about Jesus Christ. The world doesn't need heaven talk. They need Jesus talk about the work of Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ took the wrath that was meant for me And the wrath that was meant for you. And he took it upon himself and he paid the price. And doesn't it make logical sense then if he redeemed us within the context of Ephesians 1. That he redeemed us, that he purchased us. Doesn't it make sense that we're his possession? Doesn't that make sense? That we're the possession of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you and I look at our life and we say, I am a possession of Christ that I've been bought by Christ, that I move, just as the Bible says, from a slave to sin to a slave to righteousness, 
That makes sense. That makes sense. That's the story that the world needs. That Jesus bore our sins on the cross so that you and I might have a relationship with a loving, gracious, merciful God. He took our wrath so that we could have life. Join me in prayer, please. Father, I just pray that we would exalt Christ in our life. That we would recognize that we are his inheritance and that we would live our life with that view. That we would do, as Paul said, and die daily. That we'd die to self and live for Christ. I pray that we'd commit all of our life to be lived, to be pleasing to Christ. I pray, Lord, that this church might be a witness about the power of Jesus Christ. I pray if someone's listening, if they don't know you, if they've never surrendered to Jesus Christ, that they'd surrender today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org.